Dreams in every country. Dreams, you know we can work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA. Welcome to the ISA's Science of Arboriculture podcast series. This is Tom Smiley at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory, host of Science of Arboriculture. This podcast series was developed by the International Society of Arboriculture to bring you the latest research-based information on tree care. Today's lecture is by Dr. Greg Dahl from Rutgers University Urban and Community Forestry Program. His talk is titled, Can Changes in Branch Allometry and Material Properties Lead to Structurally Safe Branches? This talk was originally presented at the Tree Biomechanics Research Week Symposium in August 2010. All the benefits that we want. The research I conducted at Rutgers, when I first started talking to Jason about what I was going to do at Rutgers, he's like, Greg, we've got all these great pruning standards. They're talking about how we prune trees, try to prevent failure, and how trees grow. But we really don't have a good picture of what trees, or especially branches, really look like. So we want to get down to the biology and take a look at, I use the fancy term allometry, basically looking at branch form, and seeing are there changes in the form as the branches grow and develop that lead into their function because really form and function intertwined, just like plant biology and mechanics are intertwined. Because if you study plant biology only and you don't worry about mechanics, you're not learning anything about trees because in order to live their 125, 300, 3,000 years, they have to deal with mechanics. So plant biology and mechanics are tied together just like form and function that we're going to talk about a little bit today. But if we look at some of the pruning standards out there, both written by a number of folks in this room and a lot of us have had input into it, a lot of what we look at is we want to know is what is good branch structure. At least that's what we're, we were interested at Rutgers and still are. Mainly because outside, ooh, where is this? Outside of talking about vertical and radial branch spacing, 18 inches apart a branch or five to six branches circling around as you go up the stem. Outside of that, most of everything else that we teach our crews for guidelines for pruning are over here on the left side. We're pruning to remove dead, dying, diseased. What is a good branch? We don't know. We know we don't want dead, dying, diseased branches. We don't want those crossing branches. We don't want those co-dominant branches. Those are problematic. And most of what we concentrate in is problematic. What we want to do is get a picture, what is really good? Because if we really want to drive our standards, see if we can, we know we have to get rid of this bad stuff or less desirable stuff maybe. But what is the good stuff that we really want? And in the case of restoration pruning, something I'd like to dabble with in my career, how can we take this silver maple that's been butchered by somebody and restore it? Is it a good idea? Possibly, possibly not. I think there are times you can do it. I demonstrate right here, Fraxinus udii, those of us that worked out on the West Coast know this evergreen ash fairly well, heavily planted. This is in um, Silicon Valley, Cupertino actually, and this is a tree I was helping care for right before I left to return for my master's. Large corporate property, 
and this tree had been topped, not by my tree care company, somebody else. We came in directly after it, and 15 years hence, this is what they look like. If you can see the pictures really close, you can see fairly upright branches, uh, not exactly typical form, but if you're trying to rest, restore a branch after failure, whether it be after an ice storm or a topping event or some type of other event, windstorm, how do you guide that canopy? Right now it's a lot of see the pants, right? It's intuition. I want to keep a few water sprouts, but which water sprouts do I want to keep? Maybe we can start looking at how branches develop naturally to start looking at how water sprouts develop as well. So that's what's guiding some of my mindset and Jason's mindset as we talk about this. So I get into plant biomechanics. And we've talked, you hear people talking about the difficulty of going from mechanics to biology. Stay at regular engineering where we're dealing with an I-beam. It is easy to look at this structure that's been built by man. If you're an engineer, and I'm not an engineer, so I can't do this very well, but you can calculate the loads, the highest wind, lead, wind speed you expect, or ice load, and calculate how big that I beam is. But can you do the same thing for a branch? Or because it's really a discrete, it's not a discrete material, it's a structure, it's changing over time, is it more difficult? So a theme you're going to hear from our shop today with me and a little bit later with Jason, I prepare you, he's going to have a fun talk for you. It's not going to be PowerPoint. So get ready for something interesting. But we want to stress to you that plant biomechanics, you can't forget about the plant. Biology is very important. And that's what we looked at to an extent. And you can't divorce them, but you can look at them as separate and then try to integrate them again. So what we're doing is we're looking back a few years and looking at uh, Lewis Sullivan who said that form and function follow each other. That if you're doing building design, you have to look at form and function. And form follows the function. If you can't know what it's supposed to do, you don't know what its form's going to be. And he said you have to look at nature to do that. And his protege, Frank Lloyd Wright, took this and ran with it. Well, I think we have to do that here in trees. Try to get an understanding of how trees put themselves together, how they build. We have to look at their function of the branches, and therefore that might lead to a change in form. And that's what we're going to talk about. Is there a shift in the way branches are structured? So as a branch grows from a little tiny branchlet, is its overall shapedness, allometry, scientific term, shapedness, is it different as it goes from six inches to a foot, to three feet, to 10 feet, to 100 feet? Not very many 100 foot branches. And does that possible shift change? Or does that shift possibly tie into a change in function? And I said you, have to, you can't divorce plant biology from mechanics. And so I'm looking at the biology side, shift in form and function, but I have to go right back to mechanics. Critical length form, it been around for 100 years. Greenhill kind of put it together, derived from it. It predicts the length at which a column will collapse based on its radius. Harvard engineer, I think it was, McMahon turned it into the elastic similarity model. And don't need to worry about the numbers, but basically what it's saying is that we see this in trees, we see this in branches, tree stems as well as branches. That length slows down over time. And initially, length is growing proportionally much greater than diameter. Not just because diameter is putting on really small, but the relationship divided into each other, length is growing quicker when a tree or a branch is young. And then it kind of slows down and more emphasis goes into radius. Andreas, when you're talking this morning, it dawned on me when you said 
it has to deal with, if I'm correct, your slide, you said something about length is the wind loading and one of your slides and diameter is the mechanics. This shift possibly is saying that when it's young, it's not really wind loading, but it's putting out what? Long branches do, what do tree branches do well? What are they all about? Putting on growth, putting out the length, extensioning to have those solar flags collecting the solar energy and building a tree. So when it's young, it's more about putting on extension and getting the flags out. At some point, length extension is not necessarily good. It shifts to being concerned about mechanics, the bottom side of this graph, diameter. We want to know if that really holds true. This is in silver maple branches. Oh, excuse me, white oak branches. Someone else saw it in silver maple branches. So we tore apart a bunch of trees, sampled 2,000 branches, and saw a similar pattern. We see on the bottom, radius, sorry about the log-log scales, what scientists do, we're geeky, and length. We're seeing length in these black ones. Are ex are length extension is greater proportionally than radius. And then at some point, in this case around 10 feet, 9.8 to be exact, 3 meters to be even more exact is what our cutoff point was, we see that all of a sudden you're going from a curvy linear nature in the branches to a linear nature. So now what's happening? There's a shift in the form of these branches. And we're saying that there should be a tie between form and function. In my mind, the tie is between sun branches and what I might call a structural branch. Ever lengthening, putting out more solar flags as it's young, less than 10 feet, and larger shade tree branches. So this is going to be for um, sweet gum, which is more X current than D current. I'm not so sure. Works on some of the larger works in silver maple, Norway maple, and um, white oak, so larger branches, larger shade trees. It's moving its form and its function. The function is shifting from being out there, being highly flexible, very thin and highly flexible because of its size, being flexible for shape, or because of how small it is, letting the wind bleed off and dampen. And then all of a sudden, now it's starting to shorten diminish the amount of extension that's going on a yearly basis, and starting to put more energy towards radial growth. It has to be a structural unit now. So maybe we can start looking at this in these branches, in these trees. We may have to shift this number 10 feet around a little bit, depending on what type of tree it is. It's all tree species dependent. But at that same time, and again, I have to, I pulled this from my doctorate, so it's geeky log stuff. But this 3.48 log scale equals 3,000 millimeters which equals 10 feet. Let's stick to the 10 feet now. So at that 10 foot mark, the black again is those branches less than 10 feet. The red are those lateral branches that are greater than 10 feet. And what we're seeing is the number of lateral branches greatly increases around 10 feet in our Norway maple branches. So what's happening? It's simple biology. If you're not putting on more length and able to put out more solar flags, what's gonna happen to that branch? It's gonna die, right? It's gonna die because it doesn't produce enough Solar, capturing up solar energy, it's going to die off and you're going to, because the tree is going to grow around it. So what's happening, it's lateralizing. It's sending out more lateral branches to maintain the ability to capture solar energy. So we're seeing a shift in function that correlates to the shift in form that we noticed. The function is, it's become a structural branch, that greater than 10 feet, and it's then sending out smaller lateral branches that will serve as those solar collectors. Another way of looking at this, we were interested in saying, is radius 
or diameter more important than length when we're looking at that first curve of length to diameter. And we looked at both slenderness, which we've heard a couple times today, which is length divided by diameter. Um, in this case, it's length by radius, but it's who cares about this division of extra twos? We're seeing no good relationship between slenderness and radius. But we do see a good relationship between length and slenderness. Length is on the x-axis here. Slenderness is on the y. And it's peaking out at a slenderness of about 125 to 150. A little bit higher than in the forestry literature that you see about 100 is a good mark that they say that when you're doing a, a clear cut or making a roadway, any trees, especially in conifers that are over 100 in slenderness, length divided by diameter, is more at risk of failure. We're seeing the branches around 125, 150 in that same slenderness number, they're peaking in their length extensioning and then becoming a more robust, just like we saw talking about a second ago with Philip when he was talking about a short stubby or a long stubby tall stubby tree versus a tall slender tree. If you're really slender, you're at risk of failure. Duh, it took me a PhD to figure that one out. That's how smart I am. But I'm interested is that peaked out at 10 feet, 10.6, which correlates really nicely, ties in nicely with that 10 foot that we chose per the literature. So I think there's something that we can do if we're looking at pruning standards. We now know form and function are shifting might help us identify better branches. If we can find a, a way of looking at a branch and going, it's greater than, in this case, Norway maple 10 feet, and I still say each species may be different, and it has a higher slenderness, a slenderness great, approaching 125 or more, it's a pretty tall, thin branch. Long, thin branch, I guess maybe I should say. And that is maybe a higher risk. We want to subordinate it. We want to remove it. We want to cable it if it's a very large branch. Something along that lines. It might give us an idea of saying that's bad, but by default, that is good because it's at 100 slenderness and it's 10, 15 feet long, but the slenderness is 100, it's more apt to be a good branch, at least in my mind. But I said we don't want to forget mechanics. So what we did was we took a bunch of Norway maple branches, dropped them to the ground, cut them up in five different locations, Basically, the S1 and P1 on this fictitious branch I drew are the tip wood. First year radial growth as S1, and P1 is the primary growth. You got the first year's extension, and then just inside those bud scale scars is last year's extension and this year's radial growth. So talking about young wood, is it, does its material properties, are they different than out here in the base, the first half, the S3, S2, and S4, the first half? And Lotar, there's the equation. I'm going to send that to you. But this is a way of estimating. We wanted to use a low press like they did, but the engineering shop broke it. And we didn't have the extra $10,000 to throw into them to fix it so that we could use it for a few samples and they could use it the rest of the year. Um, so we had to devise a, a system to at least estimate modulus elasticity, stiffness. And what did we see? Out at the tip, I've converted it. We found 27 megapascals, or better yet for us here in the U.S., 4,000, excuse me, 400,000 pounds per square inch is a measurement of its stiffness in the wood. But at the base of the branch, or the first half of the branch, we see four times the stiffness. It's increased by fourfold. So as the branch is growing, it's putting on stiffer wood over time. 
hey, it has, to, it has to protect itself against failure. It's investing a lot into this tree or into this branch. And what I find interesting is when you look at that stiffness plotted against the length from the branch tip, so now I'm going from the tip back towards the base, somewhere in this two to 3,000 millimeter or six and a half feet at 2,000 millimeters or two meters, to somewhere at three, which is 10, somewhere between six and a half and 10 feet, we're seeing a radical or a, a sudden increase in the stiffness. I didn't test in that zone, so I can't figure out what's going on. That's what I hope to do this week, and most of us know that we had to derive other tests because we couldn't do that. But I want to know what's happening here between six and a half and 10 feet, because I want to see what's going on there. Material properties are not consistent throughout the cross section of the wood. And as a tree grows, it's doing a shift. But somewhere around that, three, that 10 foot mark, there's a shift not only in form, as we see the function is shifting from a sun branch to a, um, a structural branch, there's a shift in the structural component, the stiffness, which would probably correlate to its overall strength as well. So I think there's something to be gathered from this. It'd help us start piecing together the biology of how mechanics interlays in a tree. A number of years ago, I've talked about this on a couple of different occasions. At Purdue, I did some samplings. I was working, at water, working on water sprouts. And we pulled a bunch of water sprouts, and we saw that they were 50% weaker than the natural growing silver maple lateral branches. At the time, hey, it's a water sprout. OK, that's why it's weaker. Didn't really understand. It's just weaker because it's inherently weaker. So I look back after my doctorate at some of that data. I start realizing in my mind, or thinking in my mind, what's causing that weakness? That water sprout, it's just a giant sun branch. It's an overgrown sun branch. <coughs> just like a polarited branch grows really fast and long and slender. It's still, it's still functioning as a sun branch for that tree. It's putting out as much growth as it can to develop more surface area of leaves to capture the solar energy. That's what we tell our clients. That's why when I was talking to TJ the other day, I said that's how you sell it to the clients when you're trying to say no topping. A lot of folks don't understand that. They don't believe you. The old timers don't understand it and don't want to believe you. But what you're doing is you're forcing the tree to put out giant branches that are really sun branches. Instead of a smaller sun branch, now it's really a, a large sun branch. And I think that explains some of the shift that we see in our water sprouts. Because its function now is not to be a large, stiff structural branch. Its function is solely to put out as much leaf area as possible. What I want to find is, how is that shift in elasticity? What's driving that? Is it pure, merely a function of size of the dimensions of the cross-sectional area of the wood? Or is there some hormonal control or some loading regime? If we can identify that, then as arborists, we can start saying, oh, it's a concentration gradient of auxin and gibberellums as they're moving up and down the branches. If we can identify that, or is it some genetic control, maybe we can use some subordination pruning, take out some of the tip, and convince the tree that maybe this wood needs to be built bigger for some reason. Uh, I'm not a physiologist, and I don't play one on TV, so I'm not even going to be able to say that without a lot of good collaboration. But I think there's ways that we can go forward identifying how things develop then take it to the really heady people that understand how trees develop physiologically and try to piece apart how we can trick the tree in developing stiffer branches if we're doing restoration pruning. Or for some reason, we, we want to push the tree to develop quicker into stiffer wood. 
So really quick conclusions. The 10 feet mark I think is important in larger shade trees. Again, I'm stressing it's larger shade trees what, and more decurrent. What's that going to be an excurrent? What's that going to be to a conifer? I've only looked at angiosperms. I don't know. I think it ties with a shift. The shift in form and function are tied in together. A longer branch, as a branch gets longer, it shifts towards a structural function and away from a solar function, sun gathering, and it starts putting out lateral branches at that same, same mark, 10 footish, 8 to 10 footish. During that same time, we're seeing a shift in the mechanics as the wood lays down new wood. It's making thicker wood. And that's tied into the fiber cell thickness. It's tied into um, probably the angle of the cellulose fibers that are uh, microfibrils that are laid down during that development. I think slenderness is possibly going to be important. We can start utilizing that. Forestry utilizes this. When you do your clearings, you think about that 100 threshold, right? Or something along that lines, whatever you come up with. Some people have. Maybe we can adopt that. We can adopt a stupid wooden dowel that we go to Home Depot. If 125 is right, if I got a wooden dowel cut, a quarter inch wooden dowel in diameter, cut to 32 inches, I can hold that up, walk backwards till that, the thickness of the dowel fits the thickness of that branch. The branch is much longer than 32 inches, it's much longer than that 32 inch dowel at that point, just using standard tools. Hmm, that's a high slenderness. If it's much shorter, it's a low slenderness. Anything much past that, now I'm concerned, possibly. Very high-tech stuff that I have to come up with because I'm not a high-tech guy. I want to know what's that shift in mechanics. What causes that? And can we use our boricultural practices to figure out how to drive a shift if that's what we want? Can we induce those water sprouts? Or can we to develop stiffer wood? I'd like to. Whole slew of people to think Purdue, Rutgers, all my technicians. I want to thank ISA. I want to thank Davey. I want to thank, where'd John go? Tree Fund. Thank you all for bringing us out this week. It's a lot of fun. That concludes Dr. Greg Dahl's presentation of branch allometry and safety. If you'd like to learn more about tree biomechanics, the ISA has videos of all the talks that were presented during the Tree Biomechanics Research Week Symposium in a Proceedings DVD. And if you'd like to receive CEUs for today's talk, the code for this lecture is SA2964. Again, it's SA2964. If you have other topics that you would like us to provide podcasts for, please feel free to contact Luana Vargas, the producer of this series, at the ISA office in Champaign, Illinois, or me, Tom Smiley, at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory. Remember to subscribe to this podcast series and join us next time for another episode of Science of Arboriculture. Trees in every country. Trees, you know we can. Work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA.